So Karen let me choose the songs this week and uh, so I'm responsible for all that. Um, both of those songs are good for the text because he is a good, good father, right? This is one reason we can give with liberality. He's a good father. The second reason we can do so, and there are many, but with respect to the music, he's a sovereign God, right? He's in everything. There's not one little thing that God is not in. There is no rogue molecule on the planet. So these two, uh, these two songs seem to fit really well, so I wanted to bring that into what we'll be talking about this evening. For those of you who came in late, we're off our, we're off our series uh, tonight for, for one week. Um, I've had three inquiries about giving in the last two or three weeks, and that's always a, a tip-off for me that I need to speak about it. So we're going to talk about that this evening. For those of you who came in late, we're in Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Um, C.S. Lewis said something good. He normally says good things. He says, if you're doing your sums wrong, what? What do you think? If you're doing your sums wrong, what? You're going to get the wrong answer. Okay? On its face, this is not the most brilliant observation that anyone's ever made, but there's a simple genius to it. He's saying if your presuppositions are wrong, if your logic is invalid, your methodology is faulty, your arithmetic is flawed, you will always get the wrong answer. You'll never not get the wrong answer. So I, I, I want to say with respect to giving, some of us in here are probably doing our sums wrong. We've either been taught wrong, we don't know what the Bible says, or, you know, something else. Maybe you have some other rationale. But I'm just guessing that some of us are doing our sums wrong. And if you're doing your sums wrong, you will always get the wrong answer. Over and over and over again. So a little audience participation at the outset. You don't need to turn with me there, but I'm going to read you a couple of texts. And I want you to tell me who's doing their sums right and who's doing their sums wrong. So you don't necessarily need to turn with me there. I'm first going to go to Luke chapter 12. It'll be familiar text to you. I'm in verse 16. Jesus is telling a parable, and he says this, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself. Obviously, this is his first problem. He begins reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. The next text I want to share with you is Mark 14, another familiar text. Mark 14, uh, this is about a woman. Mark 14, verse 1. Now the Passover and unleavened bread was two days off, and the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. Well, they were saying, not during the festival, lest there be a, a riot among the people. Verse 3. And while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and she poured it over 
his head. But some were indignant, remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. So, who is doing their sums correctly? This man or this woman? Who has flawed, shall we say, presuppositions? Who has an erroneous worldview based on these two texts? This is not a hard question, but maybe this one is a little harder. Which illustration matches the way you handle your money with respect to God? Which illustration more closely reveals how you do your sums when it comes to your checkbook? This man, who's going to, he's going to hoard up, man. He's going to build more barns. He's going to hoard up. It's all about him, right? Or this woman who cannot help herself and pours out a year's wages on the head of Jesus Christ. She cannot help herself. Now, this is where we come to. This is the bottom line. We either love him and understand who he is and what he's done in our behalf, or we don't. This woman loves him. And this is where we're going. You know, this is where we go in every aspect of Christian living, but particularly, I think, as we talk tonight about giving. I know every single day you wake up, uh, the world is telling you that you need to get more money and you need to have more money and you need to hoard up more money. I know this is the world's message. I'm an old man. I've been hearing this all my life and I didn't come out of it till I was 28. I wasn't converted till I was 28. And I thought, man, you got you to gotta get more money. You got to get more stuff. That's what happiness is. More stuff, more money, more comfort, more ease, more pleasure, more materialism. This was my thinking as a very young and stupid man. So I'm just going to stop and ask you, where are you on the giving spectrum? This is, this is the question for, for all of us here tonight. I preach to myself always. Where are you on the giving worship spectrum? Where are you? <laughs> are you more like this man or are you more like this woman? God means for us to ask ourselves these questions this evening. Do you remember what God said about the guy that was hoarding up stuff? Anybody remember what he said? What? You fool. Remember? Let me just read it to you. God said to the man, you fool, exclamation point. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here's another key element I want to make sure I communicate to you. Are you rich toward God? I, I don't care what your portfolio looks like. I don't care how much money you have in the bank. Are you rich toward God? And are you investing in the kingdom? Are you bullish? Are you bullish on the kingdom? Or is it more about you? Is it like, are you like the guy in Luke 12? Well, I'm going to exhort you by the very many promises of God to become open-handed, right? To become open-handed with the resources God has pushed through your life. Now, you know everything you have, right? Where's it from, Shabomi? We know it's from who? You earned it, man. 
It's all yours. You get to keep it. Wrong. <laughs> it's God's. It's on loan. What are you going to do with it? It's God's. It's not yours. You, you, if you don't have this understanding, you don't understand what the Bible says. It's not yours. You are merely a steward of what you have. You are God's employee in one sense. God calls the man who's building barns, he calls him a fool. And you may remember, he commends the hazardous liberality and worship of Mary of Bethany. Jesus says, let her alone. You know what he says thereafter? He says, wherever the gospel is preached, this will not be forgotten. It gives me goosebumps every time I say that. Why? God says, I will never forget how this woman loved me with her wealth. It was worth one year's wages. You do the math. I don't know how much you earn a year. Do the math. How much do you earn a year? Have you ever loved Christ like that? Has it ever occurred to you to love Christ like that? <laughs> hey, man, I'm just, I'm just preaching the word, okay? Just preaching the word. C.S. Lewis says, you know, when you're doing your sums wrong, you're always going to get the wrong answer. But then he says this, very brilliant. You're going to love this. Man, I just give you guys so much good stuff. When you discover you're doing your sums wrong, what should you do? You should stop doing your sums wrong and start over. So I'm, what I'm going to say to you, for some of you tonight, this sermon is a catalyst for you to stop doing what you're doing and begin to honor God and becoming rich toward God. Okay, and this is not a health, wealth, and prosperity church. For those of you who just walked in, you know, I think that's, that's garbage. It doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. That's not what I'm preaching. I'm preaching you love Christ. You love Christ with your wealth and your resources. Where do, you bring a, where do you bring one chintasemi into this church or not? I'm challenging you. This is not about the pastor. It's not about the church. Hey, if you don't want to give, don't give. That's on you. That's between you and God. I'm not in that. That's between you and the Lord. This is not about ICM needs money. It's not about that. It's why I never preach on giving except once a year. I don't want anyone to think I'm up here trying to get money from you because I need a new jet. Right? Or a new Mini. It is 20 years old, but it's a beautiful little car, and I love it, and it just keeps running. I love it. I will, I'm thinking, yeah. Okay, I'll shut up. I'm losing my train of thought here. So some of us are doing our sums wrong, and we need to start over. So consider this. Some of you, I bet most of you don't know this. 16 of Christ's 38 parables speak to money and wealth. Jesus taught more about money and wealth than about heaven and hell. One theologian estimated 15% of everything Jesus had to say had some relation to wealth, property, and money. The Bible contains more than 2,000 references to money and wealth, twice as many as the total references to faith and prayer. I bet you didn't know that. So why does God give so much ink to the topic of money? We know why. Because money and wealth easily becomes a God. It is a God in this world. It easily becomes a God in the heart of man. It has an insidious way of enslaving the human heart. So God speaks to it broadly um, and widely in both Testaments. So this is a big deal for us. 
Well, you heard me read the text, Matthew 6, 24. You can't serve God and money. You can't. You're going to have to decide. You get to decide. God's not going to force a decision on you. You decide, I'm going to give my life, my 79.5 years, if, God, if I get this statistical average, I'm going to decide if I give my life to accumulation or giving away. You know, this is what Jesus has called us to, right? To be open-handed, radically open-handed. It's in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. So, do you see and understand what's at stake here? You can't serve God in money. You're serving one or the other. Jesus said it. It's one or the other. You can't serve both. And I know a lot of people want to serve both. They think they can serve both. Jesus says you can't do it. Now, you know, maybe you're smarter than him. I don't know. Maybe you're smarter than the Son of God. The Son of God says you can't do it. It's impossible. You can't do it, Jesus says. So you have to decide. I'm going to serve God or money. You have to decide. This is on you. It's, you know, God lets us decide about the whole Colossians 3, 2 thing. Let me read it to you real quick. Set your mind on the things above. What does he say? Not on the things of what? The earth. What are you going to do with that verse? <laughs> what are you going to do with it? Oh, Jim, that sounds, that's beautiful theology, man. Hey, that, you're supposed to live that. That's what your life is supposed to look like, right? As well as my life. Jesus says, Matthew 6, 24. One, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So I'll just stop and ask you, where is your heart? Is it on the things of the world? Is that what you spend 99.9% .9 of your time thinking about? Or are you like Mary? Man, I can't help but worship this awesome God. I can't help but worship this awesome Savior with the resources God has pushed through my life. If you get, uh, the people have been around a while, they get tired of hearing me say this, but, you know, if you get one more brainwave, it's from God. So certainly every euro in your pocket is from God. Every time you draw a breath, it's from God. <laughs> Beloved, we just sometimes don't realize how dependent we are upon Him. So the question is, who or what has your heart? That's the question. One of the premier questions for the evening. Are you laying up treasure for yourself? Or are you lay, uh, here on the earth? Or are you laying up treasure in heaven? Here's the bottom line for tonight's message. Our money is not just about our money. Our money is about God. It's like everything else in your life. Your money is about God. Your body is about God. Your work is about God. Your marriage is about God. Your sexuality is about God. It's all about God. Right? So, the overriding reason God gives so much ink to money and wealth in the Scriptures is because your view of money is a reflection of your view of God. Your priorities with your money is a reflection of your view of God. Your anxiety about your financial security is a reflection of your view of God. Your practice in giving your money is a reflection of your view 
of God. How you earn, spend, give, and think about money is a reflection of how you see your creator. It just is. It just is. It's a supreme cosmic reality. How you think about your money and your wealth and your possessions and the desires you have for more materialism, it's a reflection of what you believe about God. You know, these people that are piling up and piling up and piling up materialism, they're actually backhandedly saying, God doesn't satisfy my soul. And I don't think he ever could, so I need a bunch of stuff or a huge portfolio to make me feel secure. It's always about God. I, I, I meet Christians, and I'm always astonished. People don't think, well, that, this, this has no reference to God. Everything has reference to God. <laughs> Everything. Everything in your life has reference to God. Great quote. I'm going to give it to you. American preacher John MacArthur. And this is true. You may not like it, but I believe this is true. If you have a problem with it, you can go come talk to me about it. The credibility of your Christianity is at stake in how you handle your money. True statement. True statement. So what does your handling of your money say about your Christianity? What does your giving say about how you think about God? Okay, tonight, if you're doing, if you walked in here doing your sums wrong, if your presuppositions are wrong, if your worldview is flawed, if you think it's about you, then God means to blow you up tonight. He means to blow up your world in a very, very, very good way. That you might learn, you know, why you've been redeemed and what you're on this planet to do and how you're supposed to be a steward of your money. If you're building barns, if you're laying up treasures for yourself, if you're prioritizing the things of the world, you're doing your sums wrong. Lewis says you need to stop, start over. And I agree with Brother Lewis on that. And why, why, can, why can sons and daughters of the living God, why do we not need barns? Well, it was in the music. Because one, he's good, and two, he's sovereign. He's good and he's sovereign. I don't have to have a barn. I don't need a barn. I have Jehovah Jireh. Right? And we'll talk about that term in just a few moments. So, I kept looking at, you know, I told you before, I've told you before I have this verse up on my wall. Uh, Job 25.2 Dominion and all belong to him. And I kept, as I was studying this week and going through my notes and getting prepared, I kept looking at that, at that verse. This is why we can be open-handed, because dominion and all belong to Him. <laughs> I'm not doing anything in a vacuum. I don't do anything in a vacuum. God is in the middle of it. And I can trust His promises. I can trust what He has told me. In his word. So we're going to spend a few minutes tonight. I hope you have a Bible and maybe you'll turn back with me if you've closed your Bible. Uh, back to Matthew, uh, Matthew 6. Matthew 6. We're going to be there. I'm going to go through some of the text. I've already read part of it to you. Uh, yes, this is a Sermon on the Mount. It's the most important sermon ever preached in the cosmos. What's Jesus talking about in it right now? He's talking about money. Okay? He's talking about your heart. 
and how our hearts get entangled with money and wealth and materialism. This is why God gives a lot of ink in the Bible to the topic of money because it says everything again about how we view our Creator. In short, I want you to hear this. What I'm going to pull out of this Matthew 6 text is two things. This is the problem that many people have. They're, two, they're twofold. And Matthew 6 brings this out. Some people can't give because money's their treasure. They love it. They love it more than they love God. I can't give because I love it. It's what I really treasure. I can't give because I love it. It's my treasure. The other reason people can't give, and we'll see it here in the Matthew 6 text, is because they trust it. So it's a treasure or trust issue. I trust my money. I trust my bank account. I trust my portfolio. I, and, and if I can build a bigger barn, I'll do it tomorrow. Right? So you got these two issues. Treasure or trust. And God means to blow that up in the lives of His people. Right? He means to blow up those errors in the lives of His people. So you, do you trust money more or do you trust God? Let's pick up here. You heard me already read the text, so I won't go all the way through it. But Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Are you doing your sums wrong? So here we see first this treasure issue. He says it in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in. But lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, how, how much more clear could it be, right? It's explicitly clear. You remember the rich young ruler over in Mark chapter 10? He ran up to Jesus. He said, what must I do to be saved? And you remember Jesus, of course, being the Son of God, could see into his heart. And this man had a huge problem. Jesus saw that this rich man's um, money was his treasure. And so he isolated the sin Immediately, Jesus said, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and follow me. Does anybody remember the text? What happened? The man's face fell. Jesus had exposed him. And, you know, this is what the Word of God does. It exposes us. It's supposed to expose us. You know, sometimes you come in here and you're offended. You're supposed to be offended. Unless I'm just, you know, out of line. The Word of God should offend. The Word of God, you know, it's like a mirror and we see all the warts that we have. And the guy's face, I think his countenance fell and he went away grieved because he had so much stuff and he loved it. I can't, man, I can't follow Jesus. <laughs> He's asking me to love him more than I love my stuff. So I think we remember that story. The man had a heart problem, right? And that's what Jesus says. He says here, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. You cannot serve two masters, for you will love the one and hate the other, or draw near to the one and, and despise the other. This is obviously some kind of heart issue. You remember the guy over in Matthew 13, 44, I bring him up all the time. It's a picture of conversion, but it also works with respect to giving, Matthew 13, 44. Remember the guy, he found the treasure in the field? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in the field, Jesus says, which a man found and hid, and from joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has, that he may buy the field. 
This man recognizes the infinite value and worth of Christ. Earthly wealth no longer holds any allure for him. It does not hold him any longer. He sees the value of Jesus. Jesus is telling us to lay up heavenly treasures, not because wealth is necessarily bad, but because it won't last. Okay? I mean, there are some saints God blesses immensely with wealth. It's not always necessarily bad, but if it's your treasure, it'll take you to hell. It's very bad, right? Okay, and Jesus, he's, he's, he's telling us to lay up treasure in heaven, not because earthly wealth might be lost, but because it will always be lost. <laughs> if you don't lose it in this life, when you die, it's gone. You don't get to take anything with you. You know the great analogy. It's the Monopoly game. It all goes back in the box. Everything you think you own goes back in the box when you leave, you know, when you hit the box and you get put in the ground. <laughs> you know, you remember that great proverb, 23, 4, and 5, do not weary, weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. Hey, if you don't hear me say anything else, say, uh, hear me say that tonight. When you set your eyes on it, it, it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle, and it flies away. Whatever you think you own right now, you're going to lose 100% of it. Either tomorrow or the next day or the day they have your funeral. You don't get to keep any of it. It's not yours anyway. You and I need to come to a deep understanding of this. Jesus says, lay up treasures in heaven. I love how he expands on that. Luke chapter 12, verse 33. Make for yourselves purses that do not wear out, right? An eternal purse of unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. Jesus says it's an unfailing investment. Investing in the kingdom of God is an unfailing treasure. It's a can't-miss investment. This is the ultimate insider tip. You know, I played the market some growing up. Again, I'm an old man, and I used to fancy myself somewhat sophisticated. You know, I knew, I knew some stuff. I, I always got clobbered in the market. So all I'm saying to you is I'm a complete idiot when it comes to the market. But I recognize an insider tip when I hear one, and here it is, right? From the Son of God Himself. Liquidate the temporal and invest in the eternal. <laughs> this is God's insider tip. There's a book called uh, The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. Um, I highly recommend it. It's a little small book, about 100 pages. You'll love it. Uh, maybe, maybe under 100 pages. I can't remember now. This is what he says. His treasure principle. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. I love that. Right? You can't take it with you. But you can send it on ahead. So some of us maybe in this room need to stop looking at the short term, the next 30 to 60 years. That's short term. If we, if we actually believe in eternal life, that's the very near term. Some of us need to stop thinking about that and look at the long term, the next billion eternities. But Christ is making it clear this is all about the heart. It's about the heart issue. Now, this verse 22 and 23, it talks about the lamp of the body and the eye. It's a little bit cryptic. Simply, if you're focused on the eternal, your eye is clear. Conversely, if you're focused on the temporal, your eye is dark. 
This is the point that Jesus is making. And the other point he's making is, you know, uh, you can't straddle the fence here. There's, there's no middle ground here. It's like everything else Jesus talks about. It is black and white. You know, you hear a lot of people say, well, it can't be black and white. There's a lot of gray area. Not in the Word of God. It is black and white. It is. Black and white. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do both. So there's the treasure issue. Now is the trust issue. We'll look at a few more passages here in Matthew 6. And I love how Christ is with us. He knows how weak we are. Maybe you're not weak. Maybe you've got it going on. Maybe you've got it all figured out. But Christ knows how weak we are. He knows how we think. He knows how we worry about every little thing. He knows how money gets into our heart and how we trust it. You have to love it. That He knows this about us. So Jesus spends the next 10 verses dealing with this trust issue. Some may not give as liberally as we ought because of worry, because of anxiety, right, about money. It's a trust issue. It's trusting money more than God. So I'm going to read the next few verses, next 10 verses or so. And I want you to tell me what issue Jesus is addressing. One word will appear many times. I want you to hear it. Verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. It is, is not life more than food and body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than them? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil nor, nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory does not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so raised the grass of the field, which is alive to, today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Verse 31, do not be anxious, then saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, um, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles seek. Your Father knows that you need this stuff, right? That you need these things. Verse 33, here it is. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Did you get the point? Are you anxious? You're sinning. It's probably the sin that occurs more frequently in the body of Christ and is less repented of, less confessed and repented. I've been anxious about X, Y, Z. I'm not saying that anxiety doesn't well up in all of us. Of course it does. We're all fallen human beings. But we're supposed to know how to deal with it. Right? We're supposed to look at the I am who I am God. 
We're supposed to look at Yahweh, the one who keeps promises, the one who speaks billions of galaxies into existence. Jehovah Jireh. We'll talk a little bit more about that term in just a moment. Jesus says, don't be anxious. Why are you anxious? Why are you anxious? Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do you understand? Do you hear him? Will you obey him? <laughs> or will the sermon like, you bet five steps out of the door and you, you know, you're not really thinking about it. I heard one guy say, and I love it, worry is worshiping the problem. Have you ever heard this before? Worry is worshiping the problem. Where we're supposed to be meditating on the greatness of God, I just worry. It's, it's, I think that's brilliant. It is, in fact, worshiping the problem. So what's Jesus' logic here? Why should we not be anxious? Why should we be free from anxiety? Because our God is God. Our God is God. Verse 26 of the text I read. Because of your heavenly Father. Stop it. Stop being anxious. You can be free-handed. You can give radically, right? You can be open-handed. You can do it. Why? Because of your heavenly Father. That's why. That's why you can do it. Because of your heavenly Father. Verse 30. Because of God. Because of God you can do it. Because of God you can be generous. Because of God. Verse 32. Because of your heavenly Father. That's why you can do it. That's why you can be open-handed. That's why you don't have to draw, draw it all into yourself because you know He is the greatest riches of your life and the greatest inheritance you will ever have. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Messiah. Why can we do what He says when, when, when it comes to our money? Because He's God. And listen, every time... Every time you rationalize about being an open-handed giver, every time you rationalize in a backhanded way, you're saying, I don't believe you keep your promises. It's exactly what you're saying. You see, Jim, I would never say that. That's what your actions say. I know you don't say the words. That's what your actions say. That's what your actions say. And I've always loved this text, Matthew 10, 29 to 31. You're afraid? Listen to what Jesus says. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to, to the ground apart from the will of your Father? Therefore, do not fear. You're more valuable than the sparrows. <laughs> the inference is that fear and anxiety would be warranted if God were not God. But God is God. <laughs> and He does whatever He pleases in heaven and earth. Were God not sovereign? Were He not omnipotent? Were He not engaged? Were He not attentive? Were, were he not, was He not full of loving kindness? We would have every reason to be riddled with anxiety. But He is sovereign. Out of the trillion of sparrows on the planet, not one falls to the ground apart from the will of God. Now, that's, what, that's, that's uh, cutting edge science for them in the first century. We know that not one molecule <laughs> will move apart from the will of God. We have a little more knowledge than they had in the first century. 
In his book, Alcorn says he believes the biggest reason many professed Christians, and you can, you can go Google it. You can look at the surveys. It's awful. People who profess to be Christians, how much they give. I mean, actually what it reveals is how much they don't give. But Alcorn says the biggest problem is, and reason we don't give as much as we ought to, or we, we're free to give with respect to Scripture, is because of this illusion that the earth is our home. I don't believe that's correct. I understand that's one reason. Some of you think you're, you're here and you're here for good, but I mean, a thinking person realizes I'm not here for good. I'm leaving pretty soon. I think the biggest reason we don't give as we ought is because of this trust issue. I don't trust him. I don't trust him. I trust the money in my billfold or in my checking account or in my savings account. <laughs> Jesus is revealing it to us here in Matthew 6. It's a trust issue. If we believe he overruled in the falling of one sparrow, we would believe his sovereign hand overrules in our lives. We would be free to give fearlessly and with great joy in keeping with his promises. You know, we've been saying a lot lately that most men never reckon with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God. If you do, in fact, reckon with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God, you'll be like Mary, man. You just have to worship God. You just have to worship. And one vehicle for worship is money. It just is. Old Testament, New Testament. If you, if you reckon with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God, you have to give. You have to give. Why would you not give? He's God. He's your creator. It's a vehicle of worship. We're to worship Him in every aspect of our life. Why would you not give? It makes no sense not to give. If we've reckoned with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God. I just want to throw that in because we have been talking about that of late Back to C.S. Lewis doing our sums, the arithmetic of it all. <laughs> Who knows what a, some of you smart folks, you know what a theorem is in mathematics, right? It's a provable statement. It's a proven proposition. It's a principle, an axiom. It's a comprehensive and fundamental law. What is God's arithmetic in the overarching uh, theorem that he applies to his people in giving? And I finally got to this part in my notes. Jehovah Jireh, I will provide. I do it. This is why we can be utterly open-handed. I do it. Jehovah Jireh. You guys remember where that came from, Gen Genesis 22:14, 14, where Abraham is offering up this sacrificial uh, offering of his own son. And... Uh, And the Lord provided the ram, right? And Abraham said, the Lord will see to it. Jehovah Jireh. You have to love it, man. You have to love this. Um, I will see to it, God says. The question tonight is, do you believe it? And will you live your life like you believe it? Will you handle your money like you believe it? I will see 
to it. Um, it reminds me of that C.S. Lewis story, you know. You know, uh, a child asks his father for six pence. You guys have heard this. That the child might buy his father a gift. And Lewis says, well, this is all very good and proper. But only an idiot would believe that the father is six pence to the good. <laughs> okay. All we have is his. You're either going to be a conduit or you're not. I am Jehovah Jireh. Dominion and all belong to me. How can I, Jim, how can I give when I'm anxious about money? Well, repent and believe. This is how you do it. You repent and believe. Something this, this, this word gyra means, I saw a couple different uh, nuances here. It's communicating that God's paying attention. It's communicating that, that God is personally involved. It communicates that God will give aid and support. So don't, you know, you may not want to give. Okay, you don't want to give. But don't say you can't give. You remember the, the, the widow in the Gospels that gave her last cent. Do you remember? And Jesus commended her. Am I telling you to give the last cent? I'm not telling you that. Your giving is between you and God. It's between you and God. You've got to work that out. And I'll give you some guidelines here in just a minute. But if it's true, if he is Jehovah Jireh, then these verses make sense. Proverbs 3, honor the Lord from the first of your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Malachi 3, bring in the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in, in this, says the Lord of hosts. Well, he never says this anywhere else in scripture. He never, he never asked anyone to test him. He says it right here. Test me in this, he says, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a, ble uh, for you a blessing, um, until it overflows. Right there in that text, Malachi 3, 8, God says, will a man rob God? Yes, of course he will. Of course a man will rob God. Men are robbing God every minute of every day from the day they're born to the day they die. Will a man rob God every day, all day? Count on it. Yeah. You can go read the text for yourself. Luke 6, 38. Jesus says, Give, given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Listen, these promises make sense and they're reasonable because God is who God is. And here's the New Testament verse that governs all giving in this church. Okay, when people ask me about giving... This is my, this is the verse I'll go to. Okay? You'll know it. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. He who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. There you go. What do you want to do? I don't know. Sowing, uh, this doesn't sound good to me. Reaping sparingly doesn't sound good to me. Let me continue. And he who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. That sounds better to me. I don't know about you. It sounds better to me. Let each one do just as he has, here it is, purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's that text over in, in Exodus 35 where Moses tells the people to bring in offerings to, so they can build the tabernacle, construct the tabernacle. And there's these words that are used there, and I love this. I love this text. These words are the, the ones who are moved in their heart, the ones who are, have willing hearts, and the ones who are stirred in their hearts. 
These are the true givers. Now, you know, if you give legally, if you're a legalistic giver, my counsel to you is to stop. This does not please God. If you give some percentage because I think I'm under law, you're not under law. New Testament Christians are not under law. If you just give because, you, you know, this is, my, this is my obligation, this is the wrong attitude. The attitude is here in 2 Corinthians 9, let each one do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you're giving in a grudging way, stop it. Just stop it. That is not worship. Okay? That is box checking. That is, that is law keeping. And you will never be justified or please God in trying to do that. And let me say just a word about tithing. Tithing is a beautiful thing. It's an Old Testament principle. It's a great, it, it's a great principle. But I, I know a lot of New Testament Christians, they get kind of bound up with it. And, you know, I guess the big problem is they think they're done. I'm, I'm done. I did my tithe. I'm done. Well, the, the tithe is only mentioned twice, contextually, in the New Testament. Jesus condemns the Pharisees for being legalistic in their giving. And then there's that, that uh, episode in Hebrews where Abraham tithes to Melchizedek, okay, which is all about the priesthood of Jesus. So the, the tithe doesn't roll over into the New Testament. Now, you may disagree with me. Okay, we don't have to separate over this. I'm saying that this... This 2 Corinthians passage is what God's looking for. Don't give grudgingly or under compulsion. If you don't like it, don't do it. You know, I heard one preacher say, I just want happy checks. I just want happy checks. No unhappy checks here. So I hope that that helps. And let me just say this. I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. If, if it just comes down to guilt for you, you've missed the whole point. <laughs> you know, if it comes down to guilt for you, you're, you don't understand anything the Bible's saying about giving. Don't give in guilt. Give because you can't help but give. Give, give with a cheerful heart. You know, the, the, the actual Greek there is hilariously. Give hilariously. God says New Testament giving is free will giving. He says, you decide about me. You decide about your money. You decide about giving and you decide about worship. So in Matthew 6, Jesus says, stop being anxious. Your heavenly father, he feeds the birds. He clothes the grass of the fields. He holds tomorrow in his hand. You can be free hearted and open handed because he is who he is. So the question here, we'll close with this. Just another comment or two. Why don't you give more to God? This is a hard question. <laughs> why don't you give more to God? This is a question God always asks me every time I preach about money. Jim, why don't you and Karen give more to God? Why don't you give more to me? At the extremes is, one is, I'm giving all I can. Not very many people live at, at that extreme. The other is, I don't want to. So my point is, when I preach on this, when I study this, <laughs> I always get convicted. Because I don't like the way it sounds. Man, I don't like the way that sounds. I don't want to. I don't want to. What? <laughs> I don't want to be blessed. Yeah. So probably some of us in here have some work to do. Why don't you give more money to God? Is it a treasure issue? Is it a trust issue? If it's a, tr if it's a treasure issue, I want to exhort you to stop. 
you are like the fool in Luke chapter 12. If it's a trust issue, I want to exhort you to stop trusting in your barns and trust the character and promises of God. Whatever reason you have for not being open-handed, not worshiping God extravagantly with your resources, it's a lie. Whatever excuse you have, whatever rationalization you have, it's a lie. And again, it's a commentary on what you believe to be true about the Lord. So Jesus makes this bold promise. It's a promise only a dominion in all God could make. Are you living and giving like you believe this? And let me just interject before I close with Matthew 6, 31 to 33. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need it. But you need to learn how to give it. This is why we never ask for money. It's why we don't pass the offering plate. I've never asked one man for anything, ever. We look to God in this church. God doesn't need your money. You need to learn how to give it. So how, how do we do that? Well, it's very simple. It's just like anything else you want in your life. If you want a car, you have to budget it. If you want a new apartment, you have to budget it. You have to prioritize it. You have to plan it. You have to do it. Do it. So here are these bold, this bold promise of Jesus, 6, 31 to 33. I've already read it, but let me read it again. Do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows what you need. Do you believe it? He knows what you need. Verse 33, here it is. Here's, here's Christ's instruction to you about your money and your wealth. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what does he say? I'll take care of everything else. That's what God says. <laughs> That's what the Son of God says. These are the red words. This is the Gospel of Matthew. So, C.S. Lewis is almost always right. And he says, if you're doing your sums wrong, you will always get the wrong answer. Some of you walked in here with the wrong answer. I'm challenging you to consider all that's been said tonight and to walk out with a new worldview that you can be open-handed and free-hearted because of Jehovah Jireh. Lewis's simple and practical solution to doing your sums wrong is this. Start over. I suspect some of you need to start over. How do I do this, Jim? You prioritize it. Worship's first, right? Not the pension or the 401k or the retirement account or the house or the car or the computer or the vacation. Worship is first. It's like Mary, right? Worship, Mary of Bethany. Worship is first. Got to love the Word of God, right? Go ahead. Go ahead. Gotta love the Word of God. Let's pray together.